Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb, and good morning, gardeners. Well, six days in a row with temperatures in the low 30s. It had to happen. <laughs> and I think uh, there are many gardeners wondering, what are we about to receive? Darren Ray, of course, was suggesting that uh, the hottest weather this summer is going to be in late January. Perhaps that's what we're experiencing this week. And then there's going to be another little heat spike early in February. February, and one wonders whether that'll be hotter than the existing or whether it'll be similar. And then uh, all the temperatures will start to fade, and I think there'll be many gardeners looking forward to that. But because it's so hot, we're going to put the focus this morning on watering the garden, and in particular, irrigation systems. I don't know. How do you water your garden? I'm uh, pretty bad, as you know, John. I haven't given a lot of attention to looking after my garden, so I keep two jugs running, and I, <laughs> well, I, I do my pot plants Basically through water that's used in the sink, but then I go out with the hose. Oh, you've got a hose and a sprinkler on the hose end Hose and sprinklers Listen, as well. Kid. Yeah, I know. And Te- it's very time-consuming and I don't have any time. Technology has <laughs> changed the systems a little bit. The micro-irrigation is wonderful, uh, but uh, it, it's very interesting. And you can either sort of drip the water on, you can squirt the water on, you can spray the water on, and it can come out in little streams. So how do you choose, how do you select the right kind of irrigation for your garden? Garden. Particularly, uh, your garden has lots of different kind of sections, and so what you want on, say, your fruit may be different to a raised garden bed. And if you've got questions about what kind of a system is best for your garden, you'll love this morning's guest, Richard Wilson, Irrigation uh, Authority and a wonderful irrigation advisor, and he'll be our guest uh, uh, in... Oh, in half an hour's uh, yeah, time. Yeah, I've got to get used day. to the new time. <laughs> That's right. So stay tuned for that and bring your questions to Richard while we've got him and make it early because sometimes you leave your questions until the end and our guest has to walk out the door. So the phone number is 1300 222 891, but we'd love you to call in now with your general talkback gardening questions. We'll get straight into those in a moment. If you've got a comment to make, we'd love to receive them on the text line 0467 922 891. And of course, we're catching up with Joe and from Joe's Connected Gardens because a lot of people have had a bit of a dodgy fig season, John. Joe is often referred to as Mr Figs. <laughs> He's been collecting figs for quite a number of years and a wonderful authority on that and it's part of the Joe's Connected Garden which is all these backyards all connected together with all kind of old and new fruit trees and veggies. More of that in future programs but Joe will talk about why the figs are so small in many gardens this season and how you can overcome that particular problem. Wonderful. And of course, uh, a bit later on, we are also going to farewell a giant of the industry. So do stay tuned for that. But right now, it's your calls. We want one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Just remember that John's advice is of a general nature and shouldn't be taken as personal professional advice. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Our first caller this morning is in Cherry Gardens. Ray, good morning to you. Yes, good morning, Deb and John. Um, I have a terrible problem. Um, for the past three or so years, we have had grey mould on our peaches. Now this year, it's on our nectarines. 
What can you do to help me, please? I think that's a very difficult one because uh, there are sprays for most of the diseases, but home garden sprays for uh, grey mould and botrytis, uh, uh, there's not many out there. Um, I'm not too sure. There used to be a chemical called Bravo. Bravo. The active ingredient is chlorothalonil. I won't. Uh, don't ask me to spell it. Chlorothalonil. Uh, it was one of the few uh, uh, products that you can use on fruit and vegetables. But I think uh, the registration might have been uh, withdrawn. If there is a garden centre or there's somebody with an in authority that knows whether Bravo is still available, chlorothalonil is still available. Could they send in? Uh, a text or let us know because that's important. Obviously, this green, uh, the grey mould or botrytis is a, a major issue this season because of all the humidity. Um, right. Uh, the only advice I can give you, I suppose, is hygiene. It's important that as soon as you see the fruit is mouldy, remove it and take it away from the area that uh, you're concerned about. Put it in your green waste bin. Um, it's most important that you don't leave uh, mouldy fruit on the tree over winter. That carries it over from one season to the next, and that could be part of your problem. Um, right. It's important, I think, in springtime, when the plants are flowering, that you use a uh, and uh, one of the fungicides, probably liquid copper, as the bud burst, that reduces the uh, uh, initial start of it. And often that particular disease or fungus starts very early in the season, sits there quiescent until we get either wet, a prolonged wet, or we get uh, humid weather, and then it starts up. And once it starts up, it's pretty hard to stop it. Um, you could, I think, if it was mine and I was in your situation, I would be trying probably uh, um, either eco fungicide or maybe I would even be using a, uh, probably say a week or so, two weeks, two weeks before the fruit is going to be mature, I would spray with uh, a probably uh, uh, wettable sulphur wettable sulphur and see whether that just stops it getting getting going and then you don't know whether you're going to get the right kind of conditions that's going to activate it but uh, uh, if uh, you've got a fungicide that can stop the mold developing then you're ahead now I've taken a bit of time on that one simply because Deb there are a lot of problems out there many people have got bunches uh, of grapes going mouldy or soon will have and with the continuation and Darren is saying we're going to have a lot more humid weather I think uh, botrytis uh, often called grey mould uh, is going to be quite an issue this season yes. if I can get a, a, a um, one of the uh, uh, experts on, on fungicides. I'll try and get them into the program shortly. Wonderful. Sorry, Ray, we, we can't offer more help than that and it is very annoying. So sorry to hear about your peaches and now your nectarines. Karma is in Handorf. Now, what's happening to your banana passion fruit, Karma? Uh, well, it's it's flowering, but the flowers just drop off, drop off after a while. So is there a problem there? Is it a relatively new plant? Uh, it's been in, I've had it in for about 12 months and it's uh, growing profusely. It's, okay. it's just taken off like it's a weed, just about. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's lovely and healthy. I've looked after it, yeah. watered it, fertilised it. But the flowers come and then they just drop off. All right. Well, now's the time to be mean and treat it tough. 
Oh, it's okay. uh, uh, the passion fruit. Uh, all passion fruits are fairly vigorous. Banana passion fruits can be extremely vigorous, and while they're growing vigorously, they find it difficult to actually uh, set fruit. Sometimes they'll flower, but the fruit won't hang on, and it's because of the balance within the plant of hormones. Um, you need to slow it down. So back off any fertilizer until you see the plant's growth has slowed down. And I probably wouldn't put on any fertilizer for the rest of this coming. Season season. The other thing is when we get uh, an extended uh, mild to warm weather, not hot weather, then I'd be getting out with the hedge clippers and just giving it a clip all over. Just what you're doing is taking as many uh, tips out of the uh, tendrils as you possibly can. That reduces the amount of hormone within the plant. They're concentrated in that tip growth. So if you can get them off, drop them onto the ground or whatever, um, then that uh, helps uh, probably change the hormone balance and with a little bit of luck uh, uh, maybe it'll flower uh, later on and those flowers will hold and you might get some fruit maybe late in autumn or maybe next year. Uh, perhaps the other thing is I was saying back off with a fertiliser. You can buy uh, potash by itself. Go and buy a little small packet, a small kilogram of sulphate of potash or you can buy liquid potash now, and you can spray that on and, and drench that into the root system. I'd just be putting on a little bit of, uh, of potash. It's one of the uh, times when potash can actually help uh, with fruit set. It doesn't make the fruits, you, uh, but it certainly can help. Once you've got the flowers there, it can help uh, the flower set and also mm. the quality of the fruit if it's going to have fruit. There you go, Karma. Tough love and potash might be the answers. Thank you very much for that call. Karen is in Kadena. Welcome, Karen. You've got a fungus disease on your ornamental bears. Yes, good morning. Um, I have, do have um, on two trees and it's been there quite a while before I figured out what it was. Um, probably 12 months, probably last summer is when it started. My question is, I've been spraying it with an eco uh, fungicide uh, because I've got a lot of bees in the garden. Um, how many times can I spray it? Like, how many times can I treat it? Well, I need to know a little bit more detail first before okay. I uh, give. When you say you've got a fungus disease on your pear tree, uh, yep. there's a big tree there. Where's the fungus and what's it doing and what's it look like? Okay. Um, it's on two trees, one in the front yard, one in the backyard. The one in the front yard is a very small tree. It's only like um, six foot high, only probably about 12 months, two years old. The, the leaves, um, it's all, all all over the leaves. They're all, um, they come out very pale and they're all black around the edges. Um, no, I don't know. It's, it's a descriptive. Like it was... Hold it there, hold it there. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, we found out the fungus is on the leaves of the tree. That's a start. Yep. Uh, now, okay, and you'll just give me a, a very good description of, of that. Uh, is it on the leaf or is it in the leaf? Uh, on the edges. It's on the... Uh, uh, yeah, go all around the edges. It looks like a sunburn kind of thing. So the, the uh, edges uh, of the leaves are going black or brown? Yes, yep, black. Right. And they're all and the tips of the branches are all dying off from the tips down. Right. Uh, well, I don't think that's a fungus problem. Um, well, but... when I spray it with the... So I was told it was overwatering, so I stopped <laughs> watering it, but that didn't help. So I started spraying it with the eco fungus oil. And when the new leaves come out, they come out perfectly. Yeah, okay, they come out but perfectly, and as they mature, yeah. they they get edge, they just go black. Um, as the as other so 
because yeah. I've had trouble keeping up the spraying. Okay, Karen, listen, uh, we need to yep. move. Uh, move. Oh, I, got, I, got, yep, I was yep. just looking at the number of just questions. Uh, listen, it's not a fungus. You don't have a fungus problem. Um, what you've got is problems, and the, whoever gave you the problem sort of suggested you're overwatering is, is on the money. It's what's going on in the soil. Something's happening in the soil. You're either overwatering your pear trees or they're being stressed, or it could be that you put on too much fertiliser and the salts and the fertiliser are reacting with the roots and that's causing uh, the edgings to go brown. Um, I think you... Uh, can you tell me how often you're watering and, and how? Uh, well, I actually cut the water off completely. No, no, how have off. you been watering? Um, just deep waters um, during the hot weather and then I leave it to dry out for, um, you know, a few weeks. Yeah, okay. I think you need to think how you're going to water your trees. You need to sort of, uh, they've got a, a fairly extensive root system. It runs sideways as well as deep. So uh, you need to give it a good water and get into the habit of identifying when the tree needs to be watered. Use a little trowel and find out when the soil is starting to dry out. But the problem is, is the way it's been watered. And I think uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time just repeating what I've said often on this particular program. So uh, read up on how to water your plants effectively, deeply, regularly, but don't let them dry out in between watering and don't put on too much water when you do water. And if you can do that, that will solve your problem. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Karen. It sounds simple, but it's about, it's about delving in, isn't it, John, and trying to get a bit of a sense of, you know, what the soil is like and how far the soil permeates and how damp it is and trying to get a sense of that over time. Yes, yes. And it's very, very difficult. Somebody's got the problem and it's their problem now and they want their problem solved now. And from my point of view, I've been sort of giving the same answer for many, many years. Uh, but but it's, <laughs> that's, it's, that's it's, being cynical. But I'm it's sorry. different when it's your own That's tree. right. It's when your problem. And so, you know, if it's your problem, ring and we'll try and fix it for you. Exactly. Thanks very much for that, Karen. Now, it's with a great deal of sadness that, uh, John, you and I are going to let um, many gardeners know of the passing of one of Adelaide's foremost rosarians and someone absolutely crucial to the industry, and that is Kelvin Trimper, who sadly died last weekend. Yes, Kelvin was a giant in the rose industry, and it's so sad that he has passed, as you mentioned, last weekend. And our thoughts certainly go out to Melanie and the Tripper clan, but not just those, because he was a giant amongst rose growers, and not just in Australia, also internationally. And Kelvin, I think, was a major force in the rose industry. He was recently elected as the president of the, uh, the Federation of Roses. And while he was president, he actually spent a lot of time reorganising that organisation from an organisation that was just so to something that's now very, very relevant. And, and uh, when you consider that the roses of the world are grown in Europe and in uh, America, it was uh, an Australian that has helped put them back together. And I think uh, that's a major issue. The fact that uh, Adelaide was the centre for the International Rose Show mm. and the International Rose Convention last year. And it was held in the middle of the, the COVID epidemic when everybody said, call it off and not Kelvin. He said, no, we're well organised and his organising ability is, is what I think uh, is one of his strengths as well as his very, very strong personality. Mm. Um, he, I think... Is, always loved roses and he spent many hours achieving some 
tremendous outcomes, the fact that uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, Adelaide Rose Garden, International Rose Garden, is, is a tribute yes. to Kelvin. Uh, the fact that uh, Adelaide is the, certainly the rose capital of Australia, much of that goes to Kelvin's work over many, many years of saying, look, in South Australia, in Adelaide in particular, this is the centre of what's happening. And it wasn't just uh, the rose industry itself, I guess it was uh, his involvement with, with government and semi-government organisations and he was also on the board of a number of commercial organisations and just as a little uh, uh, just uh, not a jest but the fact that there is a rose fer- an organic rose fertiliser specific for roses is a tribute to Kelvin Trimper who went to one of the South Australian manufacturers and sort of said hey listen we want a fertiliser it needs to be organic and it needs to look after the roses it's got to have this and lo and behold that's what we've got for roses at the moment um, and I was talking to the former uh, president of the Rose Society here in South Australia Gavin uh, uh, Gavin Woods um, and, and anyway he was saying that uh, uh, Kelvin was very very close in getting a link a direct link between um, the Rose industry and young people and he had a fascination for getting young people involved in the industry and I think that we'll see uh, there will be a, a link so that young people will become invited to become part of uh, the rose industry itself and so uh, I think there's a, a lot to, a lot going there. Yes well I mean I loved working with Kelvin and of course we had a, a very big lead into the world um, rose conference that was held here in Adelaide I think it was in October of last year and spoke many times to him and I loved working with him but you're, you go way way back with Kelvin what are your first memories well, of Kelvin? Well I can remember Kelvin and his brother Merv uh, as teenagers on their dad's property uh, in Renmark and uh, of course Eric Trimper was <laughs> the mainstay one of the feature uh, people in, in the gardening program I used to run when I used to be the ABC rural officer up there uh, but he's he's, he's uh, Uh, Another thing people don't realise that uh, Golden Grove Kelvin Trimper was one of the major architects of of drawing up the design and, and the fact that a golden grove was going to be different to the other suburbs and not just a ho-hum suburb. It had, it had features. And I can remember at the end of when it was completed, he was so proud of this and he invited uh, one of my talkback gardening colleagues, uh, 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 Mike Keelan and my, us, myself, to judge the gardens. And both Mike and I have got uh, an aversion to uh, scoria and golden diasmas, and they were everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Kelvin wasn't very impressed with some of the comments we made about the judging, but uh, certainly Golden Grove, I think, is, a, is one of the many tributes to this wonderful person who passed away last weekend. Yes, and I think, as you said, um, John, earlier, that our thoughts go to Melanie and the Trimper clan and all Rosarians that have had involvement with Kelvin and, and all good gardeners that I know came across him as well. So, Barley, Kelvin Trimper. You're with Deb Tribe and John Lamb. We are Talk Back Gardening. The phone number is 1300 891. We'll take a look at a disappointing fig season for some good gardeners in just a moment. 
Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. I've got a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away later in the program as well, but the phone number is 1300 891, particularly if you'd like to get in the queue to ask our irrigation expert Richard Wilson some questions. He'll be joining us in a few minutes' time. Now, John, fig season's been a bit disappointing for some. Yes, and based on uh, calls to talk back gardening, there's certainly renewed interest in figs, and the big problem at the moment is the fact that uh, early in the season the figs were very, very small. Why is it so? Can we blame the season? Are there other reasons? And uh, this morning we're going to talk to uh, one of our top fig authorities here in South Australia, Joe Kylanowski from Joe's Garden, uh, Connected Garden. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. And so, if it's not a seasonal problem, why were so many other figs, particularly early in the season, on the small side? Um, figs have two crops. Uh, at the tip of the old wood, um, there's uh, the what they call the breber crop that usually produces at Christmas time. And then on the new wood, as it comes out, right along on every leaf node, there's a fig, and they uh, are the main crop, and that is usually February, March, but last year we were tasting in June, so we had a long fig season last year. Uh, but what happens is that uh, some people see these small figs at the beginning of the season uh, and don't realise that they've actually got two crops. Uh, the Breber crop produced some very big figs in the last week or two, a little bit earlier than usual. And the little figs are out at the moment ready to expand out and produce really delicious figs. Okay, and that, that's, that's, that, that, that first crop. That, so that, that, it's that first crop and people sort of think, oh, it's springtime and already uh, there are tiny little buds. That's the beginning of that first crop, that little breber crop. Yes, that's on the tip of the old wood. So when you prune the figs, it's uh, good not to prune all the wood off if you want some breber crop. But usually the breber crop is a very sparse crop. There are not many of them because they're at the tips of the old wood. And not all fig varieties will produce a breber crop. And not all fig varieties will produce a nice breber crop or a nice main crop. Okay, so you've got to decide. You you can decide you can have two crops, the first one not as good as the second one, or else you can ignore the first crop and just go for the second one. Could you just explain uh, where uh, the fruit comes from? And when you're pruning, uh, as you say, uh, if you prune hard, you prune off all last year's wood, and then you get nice new wood. And am I right in assuming that when you get a new growth, the figs will come on that new growth? Yes, and it depends on the variety as well. So, for example, some people like black genoa with the huge black figs. Those huge black figs are on the old wood. Uh, The main crop has much smaller figs, not quite as nice, but they're still nice figs, but not quite as nice as the breber crop. Okay, so if you want that early crop, you need to leave some of last year's wood. You don't chop off everything. You leave some of last year's branches or last year's growth, and that's where you'll get your early crop. Yes, and if you want a really decent crop, you can have a six-by-six-metre tree. <laughs> um, but uh, if, if, you want, if you've got a confined space and you want to keep your tree small, and we prune some of our trees down to only knee-high every year, um, then you'd be looking for a variety which has a really good main crop on the new wood and just chop off all your old wood and just let it shoot out and produce lots of figs. 
Some gardeners are trying to grow their figs in containers. And if you have a nice big container, uh, you grow a nice big fig. But then sometimes uh, the tree, the, ca- the canopy of the tree grows too big and it's hard uh, keeping the water and the fertiliser up to them. How hard can you cut uh, a fig back if it's growing in a container? You can cook. You can cut it back to two, two leaf nodes and let it grow out. However, I don't recommend growing figs in containers. And the reason for that is they have a lot of leaf area. And they transpire, on a hot day, they transpire a lot of water. So on a cold day, uh, you don't water them at all or don't water them much. On a hot day, you might have to water them twice. Uh, otherwise, your figs might dry up and fall off. Or if you're over water, you'll get these sloppy, awful figs. Uh, figs are best in the ground. Okay, uh, that's hard very, very good advice. And we look forward to talking to you in February when, of course, uh, uh, Joe's Garden will be, uh, Joe's Connected Garden will be open and we'll certainly be featuring that in the program and have you back as a guest if that's okay with you. Thank you very much, Joe Kalinowski. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, really thanks, appreciate thanks, you joining us. Thanks, Thank you. No worries. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Joe Kilinowski from Joe's Connected Gardens. Pretty amazing um, thing that he's done there in his own community. Now, we're going to be talking irrigation very shortly. So if you've got an irrigation question or a watering question, jump in now. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. 891 I hear this on the text line, John. I saw figs selling for $50 per kilo at the local supermarket. So lucky if you've got a tree, your friends will love you. I bet they will too. Uh, let's, before we move to irrigation, come to lemon trees. And Gail from Murray Bridge, you've had your lemon tree die suddenly. I'm very sorry to hear that. Well, probably not suddenly, but it died two, about two months ago. And, um, yeah, just sort of gradually got sick. We think we made a mis- mistake with the mulching. Uh, all I'm wondering about is, um, is it a good time to plant another one now? Because we did actually plant that one in winter and it took a few years to get going because it was salted a fair bit. Um, and also, uh, if we do stuff with the soil, can we put it in the same spot? Uh, yes, I would suggest that you need to plant uh, during the warm weather. Um, mm-hmm. Probably if you don't really have to get the lemon tree growing in January or February, I'd wait until the end of February when Darren is suggesting most of the hot weather will have passed and we're going to get some relatively milder weather, but uh, the soil at, at that stage is still nice and warm. And that's what citrus, particularly lemon trees, love, warm soil. And if you can plant into warm soil, it'll take off very, very quickly. Um, so... Uh, I think uh, now is the time to decide where it's going to grow. Hopefully you're not going to put it back in the same spot. Uh, so that's not possible? Oh, you can. Uh, if we, you... We, we, think, we think we just made a mistake with the mulch. We used the wrong stuff and you know, I think it just turned the ground sour and, and uh, I, I thought if, if we, you know, especially if we wait until March to plant, if, if I did a bit of work on, on that area, it's just that we got the irrigation set up, it'd just be handy if we could put it back Okay, in well you can. What I'd be doing is maybe getting half a wheelbarrow full of soil where the old lemon tree is, just take that out uh, even though you might, you've spent a bit of time improving it, just taking out uh, uh, a fair amount of uh, that topsoil we're going to plant and put that yep. somewhere else and bring back some good quality soil um, and get and work that into the soil and get some good compost, very, very good mm-hmm. quality compost and don't put in too much, um, but get about 20% of good quality compost mixed up with uh, uh, some good quality soil and uh, that becomes your planting area 
and at this stage I wouldn't be putting too much in the way of fertiliser into it either. Uh, you can right. put the fertiliser in once the plant is in and established and using a slow release fertiliser. So yep. prepare the soil now, get ready to mm-hmm. plant in that uh, uh, late February period and just be prepared. You've got a little bit of shade cloth or something like that. If we do get some a late spike weather going to the 40s, mm-hmm. you can just sure. put the shade cloth mm-hmm. over the tree. Um, and again, bear in mind we're talking about drought shield. Drought shield is a policy a little plastic polymer that you can spray onto the tree and it has a dramatic uh, improvement or uh, helps uh, stopping uh, the plants going into stress and whether it's seedlings or whether it's fruit trees putting on and spraying the trees before you put them in the ground and then uh, when they're in the ground keeping the ground watered but also spraying them again with a drought shield will reduce the stress on plants during hot weather most important sounds great all right thank you very much for that i appreciate it thank you gail we appreciate your call the number is 1300 we are going to be talking about irrigation and watering in just a moment with richard wilson but just on the text line thank you very much this text that says thank you john for your advice on figs if you prune them you get figs so true for years, no figs. This winter, I pruned and now have figs on three trees. Thank you. I'm very happy. <laughs> so that's good news. It's all to do with the pruning, when you prune and how. Right. And a couple of great tomato uh, texts have come through. Malcolm at Fairview Park has sent a photograph through of a selection of his Polish tomatoes, two weighed in. 700 grams and 750 grams each, and they look absolutely delicious. And Michelle says, my largest tomato grown from seed, I saved from a large tomato from last year, and it's coming over a kilo, 1.032. Amazing, Michelle. Thank you very much. Uh, Join us next with Richard Wilson. We are talking irrigation. This is Talk Back Gardening. With John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. There's nothing like a sudden spike of heat to focus our attention on watering the garden. And uh, this morning we're going to take a look at uh, many different ways of watering the garden using irrigation systems. But there are many different types and choosing the right type for your particular part of the garden is a little bit bewildering at sometimes. How do you actually choose the right irrigation system for your part of the garden or for the whole garden as a, uh, by itself? And once again, we've invited uh, Richard Wilson from Adelaide Plants and Pumps, who's an irrigation consultant. He doesn't like that title. He likes to be called a, a garden irrigation advisor, solving people's problems. <laughs> Good morning to you, Richard. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, listeners. You'll be having a bit of fun solving people's problems at the moment, I suspect. Uh, it's, there's a fair bit going on at the moment. Uh, certainly things have started to dry out. The weather's beautiful. Um, we've had strategic perfectly timed large rain events it's been a great great summer in the garden yes the gardens are looking good aren't they they sure are and we need to keep them looking good because i I think uh, if the uh, the climatologists are correct we're gonna we're gonna have hot well might have warm to hot weather but we're not going to have wet weather we're more likely to get dry weather Uh, so uh, we're going to need irrigation systems let's look at it and we can't cover the whole world this morning richard so let's focus on say uh, irrigating trees and shrubs and maybe fruit trees and and maybe vegetables with uh, the more modern type of irrigation systems uh, perhaps referred to as micro irrigation systems now there's a lot of them out there (laughs) 
first of all, let's take a look at, uh, th- there's an irrigation system. How do the irrigation systems deliver water to the garden plants? You, you are exactly right, John, in saying there are many, many types and methods of applying water. Yeah, um, some squirt, some spray, some drip. <laughs> th- they, they do. And, and it really doesn't matter in a lot of ways what you use, whether you use a sprinkler on the end of the hose, whether you have a system set up in your garden, whether you have the most efficient system, which, which I would strongly encourage. It's just a way of trying to get the water into the plants for the right amount of time and applied at a rate at which the soil will take it up. And that is what helps us decide what type of irrigation products we might use in the garden. It's also true that, that in, in my view, the most time consuming and the most amount of effort is required in watering your garden beds in, because they're often large areas. It's often hot when you feel you need to water them. So if you are able to have something set up that you can either click a hose onto and turn it on with a tap timer, or if you're lucky enough to have the luxury of an automatic irrigation system, that it, it really can improve your lot in life because you're not standing outside when it's hot feeling that you should water your plants. So the technology is there to take the hard work out of watering the garden. I'm fascinated with the different methods of water distribution and uh, I alluded to the fact that some drip and some squirt. Could you just run through from a micro-irrigation point of view the, the, the different ways water comes out of an emitter? I've brought in a few little samples today which I know are absolute rubbish for radio but I'm hoping that shortly Deb might be able to describe what she's got in her hand. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, it is a piece of plastic about foot long-ish, maybe a bit longer, with some holes in it with all sorts of different jets coming out of it and a couple of stakes, I imagine, to just hold it in place. So there are all sorts of different black plastic bits that you can put on these pipes to water your garden. What are that what are all the different bits here? That that is a perfect description, Deb. <laughs> what what you're looking at there, uh, which is difficult for radio, but it shows that there are a very wide range of emitters. And I've got just six plugged into that piece of pipe. But there there are dozens and dozens of different emitter types. And you're perhaps best either doing a bit of research looking at what your friends and family have or popping into an irrigation shop or, or an expert garden centre and asking what type of emitters might suit my plants. Would it be right to say, suggest that perhaps, uh, from my point of view, there are three different types. There are some that drip water, a drip at a time. Uh, there are those that spray water in many different kind of patterns. And there are others that uh, uh, emit water, uh, I, I describe them as streams, uh, streams of water rather than a drip of water or a spray of water. They come out as a stream. Uh, would they be the three main types? They're pretty much the three main categories, certainly for garden beds. Um, in in the main, I would strongly recommend the uh, brown inline dripper pipe that you would be seeing councils and whatnot um, lay everywhere in Adelaide over the last 10 or 15 years. Those, uh, those dripper pipes have moved on in leaps and bounds in the last number of years. And, the, and it's a very high quality dripper that is seam welded onto the inside of the pipe as it's extruded. And the drippers are spaced every 30, 40 or 50 centimetres apart and apply water at a very slow delivery rate. And it, when laid out correctly, operating at the correct pressure, provides excellent 
excellent watering, um, okay, so particularly we, for garden beds. You go into your garden centre and this is, this, this is brown and it's 13 millimetre hose and you can't see anything because all the drippers are inside. That's right. All you're going to see is little uh, ports on the outside of the dripper pipe, but inside that pipe, the um, it's a very high quality pressure compensating anti-siphon um, dripper that's seam welded onto the inside. It's very very high quality product, and and uh, when correctly installed, it's difficult to beat it's in our, our Adelaide soil types yes, and temperatures. We go back twenty years ago, and you had to sort of get a bit of spaghetti tube and and put the spaghetti tube into the pipe, and then you'd have the dripper on the end of the spaghetti tube. So there's those drippers, uh, uh, inline drippers. They're called inline drippers. Um, where in the garden would you use those? I, I would use those, if if possible, in pretty much every garden bed situation, um, particularly when they uh, are sub-mulch. The uh, evaporation rate after um, application is very low. The effectiveness of getting the water into the ground, it makes sort of an onion shape or teardrop shape underground. And plant roots access it very quickly and uh, it's a it's a great product. Can I just say that on the text line, um, someone says micro irrigation components used to be dirt cheap, but now even the little plastic four millimeter goof plugs can cost five dollars for a pack of ten. Where can you buy this stuff now that doesn't cost an <laughs> arm and a leg? I'm trying to think of one thing I buy that is the price I remember it used to be. Um, Things have changed, unfortunately, and um, I think you probably just need to continue to shop around, but certainly certainly things have changed. I need to come in on that because there was a very big difference in the quality of products, and you can buy products which are imported from overseas, and uh, in my opinion, I've used them, I've tried them, and they're they're responsible for leaking and and big problems, and there are other products which are quality. I suppose the point I'm making is uh, don't always go for the cheapest price because you could be buying uh, problems, whereas if you pay the right price, you're going to get quality. That would be reflective of many things in life, I think, John. Uh, we've got Richard Wilson, Irrigation Specialist, in the studio. We've only got an, until 9 o'clock. So if you would like to ask him a question, now is the time to call through on 1300 891. Just on the text line, someone asks, how can you stop rats from chewing the dripper pipe? I'm unsure how you would do that. I see plenty of pipes of all sorts and persuasions that show clear evidence of um, rat damage. I don't see it all the time, um, and I, I have rats hanging around my yard, as most domestic yards do, and they don't seem to bother mine, um, perhaps because I can't see it, because it's covered with mulch. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, but um, I think you've been a bit unlucky there. Certainly a major issue, and uh, wage war on rats, I suppose, and uh, try and eliminate the population so that they're not forced to go and eat uh, plastic rather than sort of some of the other things that might be available in the garden. But we move on. Um, I would uh, okay. So we've got the dripper irrigation system, and that is very, very versatile. Can be used in in many different areas. Uh, there are lots of different kinds of sprays. Where in the garden uh, you would you say sprays are? are well worth considering. There there are some areas where sprays can be very effective, certainly in lawn areas, I I would 
generally select a spray rather than a subsurface stripper. Um, it's, it assists in uh, washing in fertiliser, gypsum, uh, soil wetting agent and, and the likes from above. It also gives the homeowner, the homeowner confidence that the, um, that the irrigation is working effectively and, efficiency, uh, and efficiently. However, in some areas of the garden, uh, sprays can be can be good when people like to group together plants that have a high humidity or um, do like an overhead spray. So if you're a very, very keen um, hydrangea grower, for example, you might choose to group uh, all your hydrangeas together under a tree and have a uh, have a spray have a spray zone in that area uh, that will water those just beautifully whilst using a more efficient method of watering your garden for the remainder. Interesting. Uh, I have re-landscaped my front garden and I'm having a whole lot of, of, of ground covers, large areas of ground covers, and I was going to have uh, uh, the ground covers not growing too tall and put a sprinklers over them so that they'd all get nicely watered. And you advised me, no, no, don't use sprinklers, John. Use the drippers. And uh, so that, that I think is... Well, could you explain the benefit of that from my point of view that I'm going to get more efficient irrigation I, I would I would tend to always opt for watering at soil level where possible I, I heard on the way in that people were talking about fungal diseases in plants and I've seen them all over the place in the last uh, month or so myself so if you can keep the water being delivered at the soil surface it's going to penetrate directly into the soil to the roots you need to make the best benefit of that of by having a good water holding capacity with your soil by doing the things you talk about um, repeatedly about adding compost and soil wetting agent and whatnot and those and if you can deliver the water at the soil level with some mulch over it your plants are going to going to love it we need to come back to a few basics before you actually choose a system there are a few uh, issues that perhaps you need to take on board such as uh, water pressure Indeed, the, the number of linear metres of dripper pipe or the number of emitters or the number of sprinklers will be limited by the capacity of uh, the water supply that you have available. And that might come from SA water through the mains, it might come from your rainwater tank, might come from your bore perhaps or your dam pump or whatever your situation is. So you are limited in the total number of sprinklers you can apply to any one station or zone or however you'd like to designate it. Um, and I'd recommend that uh, you look at the product you're considering using, look at the recommended manufacturer's range of pressures, and you might even talk to an irrigation shop about borrowing or hiring a pressure and flow meter to determine that in advance. I, I, I always measure pressure and flow because I'm interested in, in the mathematics of how it all goes together and getting the sums all right, but it's not absolutely critical. Most people are pretty satisfied if it works effectively enough. Um, so you might choose to start adding a few sprinklers and when you see that the performance of the system is beginning to drop cut off the last two or three emitters and see if it's working effectively enough for you and then start a new zone that'd be that'd be good enough in the home garden I would okay, think okay and we might come back to how many drippers you can put on a system uh, but well, there's a, an issue that we need to take a look at apart from pressure and that is uh, uh, not all garden soils are the same no, not by any stretch. Um, and if you if you're lucky enough to live along the coastline somewhere, you 
your sandy soils won't um, won't be holding much water, so you'll need to water more often. And if you're going to use dripper pipe, the drippers need to be closer together than what they would if you're living on most areas of the plains and hills. If you're lucky enough to live on a soil type that holds water very well, you can water far less frequently uh, for a longer period of time and the water will be available to your plants for a longer period of time. Just on that, on the text line, Marg says, is the brown hose suitable for sandy soil when water goes straight down? Yeah, yes, it, yes, it is, Marg. You, you often generally need to put the dripper pipe a bit closer together, as I say. You'd be thinking carefully about using soil wetting agent as a routine um, matter of process and you'd be adding as much organic matter to your soil in the form of uh, you know chook pellets compost any method you can get of applying organic matter to act effectively as a sponge to try and to try and hold the water in the soil for as as long as possible plus mulch of course wonderful our special guest is richard wilson irrigation specialist he can answer your questions if you call in quickly on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And we are talking irrigation right now with specialist Richard Wilson who's joined us in the studio with his expertise. Liz has called in from Narracourt. Good morning, Liz. Good morning. How is everybody? We're great, thank you. Now, you want to know how to unblock inline drippers. Yes, because I'm in the uh, limestone coast, we have really a hard water with calcium in it and I have an issue with drippers blocking. So how do I unblock the inline drippers? Hi, Liz. Is this in your domestic home garden or is this in a uh, sort of semi-commercial arrangement? Oh, no, no. This is my domestic garden, but I would have probably a kilometre of dripper tube because I have a large garden. And what I do is I have a, uh, every dripper line has an end on it that I can open and flush the pipes out. Um, and with the normal drippers, if they block up badly, I pull them out, put a new one in. How do I do that if I use the inline dripper tube? I, I understand your problem. Um, we have the same problem um, up here in Adelaide with bore water the calcium in the water does exactly the same thing to drip a line over time. I think you're doing exactly the right thing by having a flush valve and operating it on full flow and using uh, velocity to try and scour out any dried calcium deposits from the inside of the line. There, There is no easy answer though, unfortunately. In a commercial venture, it might be treated with a chemical, um, but that's very difficult to do in the home garden to counteract the calcium. So I think I think you're limited to flushing as often and as regularly as you are able. And it's it's going to be um, you know difficult with with calcium as it dries out. It becomes a solid. So um, whatever product you use is going to have those ongoing issues, unfortunately. Thanks, Liz. Yes, it's a big problem, and I guess you don't, can't pull each and every dripper out and give it a wipe. You'll be there forever with one kilometre. Uh, Maria is in Glenelg North. Hello, Maria. Hello. You might have already addressed a little bit um, my issue, but it's still a little bit tricky to know what to do. So I'm one street back from the beach in Glenelg North, and I've got the brown inline dripper professionally installed. Um, and so I've got this lovely front garden. People say it's the nicest garden in the street, but I don't know how because the soil's always dry. <laughs> so I, I do the John Lamb tested method and I get out there and dig down with my trowel 
um, and the soil's dry, you know, and I, I run it even three times a week now, just trying to get a little bit of moisture into the soil, and it's, it's working, so I can see, I turn it on and I can see the drips of water coming out, but um, it's regularly quite hard to get anything to establish, and then I've got to go out and keep an eye on it all the time until it, it makes it and it survives. A lot of things don't. Um, and then it's just, yeah, trying to make sure that there's enough water going into the soil. So I'm wondering if I should um, increase the amount of time, but I don't think that'll help because it's going to dry out anyway. But maybe it's okay to just water it more often, which is often what they tell you not to do because it's going to, you know, not make the roots go down so deep. Hi, hi, Maria. I I think anyone who gets um, compliments about having the best garden in the street is clearly <laughs> is clearly doing an excellent job. Um, I, I must say, I rarely look at the soil to think about how much moisture is in the soil. I generally look at the plants, the um, rate of growth, the turgidity of the leaves, and if my garden is growing well and strongly, I really don't. I really don't look at the soil to determine um, its uh, level of uh, moisture content. I'm confident if the plants are demonstrating to me that they are happy and healthy, I'm confident there's enough water in the soil. It's very difficult to see moisture in the soil. Um, Generally, I dig down a bit and grab a bit and try and squeeze it in my hand to try and to try and feel if it's damp or whether it's whether it's bone dry but your plants are clearly telling you it's damp enough i would uh, perhaps encourage you to try and cover the dripper pipe with mulch so you no longer look at the dirt and are only looking at the leaves of the plants and when you have new plants as i have to because i have dripper pipe the same as you i nurse them along with a hose for a period of time until i'm satisfied that they are uh, established enough and then they need to take their chances with the amount of water and the um, and the frequency at which I'm prepared to water. Sounds like Maria is an excellent gardener and she's looking for that extra few percent there. Absolutely. On the, the types of soil you sort of said sandy soil is different to the heavier soils and you're saying that if you've got sandy soil you put the uh, dripper hoses a little bit closer to together. Many people would be wanting to say would you be better off uh, running your a hose system in sandy soils more frequently and if it was in clay soils you, you'd run it less frequently so uh, I guess uh, what the previous caller was suggesting is running it more often uh, but I, shorter. I, well certainly you would want to run it more frequently on sandy soils than on um, you know a clay loam based arrangement. I, I live in the suburbs in Adelaide and I water every 18 days whether I need to or not. So I've watered five times this year. One of them was yesterday. Um, On sandy soil, you'd want to water far more often, uh, as in far more frequently. But it's also important not to run the the emitters or drippers for too short a length of time because if, if most of the water is up near the surface, it's just going to get evaporated off on the next day and you're effectively just throwing your money and water into evaporation. So, you've, so got you've, a, you've got a dripper, a brown hose dripper, and it's coming out at, say, four litres an hour, um, and you've got uh, roses. How long? Uh, you probably need, say, 20 litres of water to look after a rose. That's what I would suggest. Uh, so how long would you leave your, your dripper on to get the amount of water the rose needs? The, the majority of dripper pipe is either 1.6 litre an hour or 2 litre an hour. Oh, right, it's the, even less. Yes, the old the old button drippers, and the, it's not the old, the new, the current model button drippers come in 2, 4, 
an eight litre an hour mm. models. So there's a wide range of products you can have. If you're using the 1.6 or two litre an hour models, I'd encourage you to water for an hour and a quarter at a time. And on heavier soils, an hour and a half as a minimum. So, so on sandy soils, you might water a couple of times a week. And on clay-based soils, as, as I have, I water infrequently. We might just fit Julie from the Adelaide Hills in. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. I've just got a question about the irrigation. How wide apart would you need these rows of uh, dripper hose? Hi, hi, Julie. Are you on flat land or a slope where your house is? It's fairly flat. Very good. That that certainly makes it easier. Typically, the ro- the the dripper interval in the rows in a domestic garden is 30 centimetres between drippers and typically the rows are laid out around 40 centimetres apart. 40 centimetres apart. Yep, that means that the little um, saucer size that you see on the surface will form a bit of an onion shape underground and your roots will be able to access that water and that'll be ideal. Great, Julie. We just got you in before the nine o'clock news. And Richard, it's always such a pleasure to have you in here. And the time flies so quickly. So I know that we'll get you back again. Um, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Thanks, thanks, Deb. Thanks, John. Thanks, mm. listeners. Very appropriate that we talk about irrigation. And of course, next week, we'll keep the focus on the, the hot weather. And I think next week, we'll take a look at how you can beat the heat with the right kind of plants. Very so, interesting. I'll suggest until next week, good gardening.